coming up. What an excellent day for Dyer. And welcome to Minute 40 of The Exorcist Minute, a show where we endeavor to examine, extrapolate, and excavate The Exorcist minute by terrifying minute. My name is Lester Ryan Clark. And I'm Keenan Diaz. And we'll be your holy guides on this journey through what some have called the scariest movie of all time. Okay, so our minute begins with Father Karras punching away at a bag. And it ends with Burke Denning saying, tell me. <laughs> That's tell me if you uh, speak American. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So it was a very British tell me. Or that was that was that was a very American attempt at a British tell me. <laughs> Do you ever know, like like uh, we Americans we, like we tend to go either with uh, Cockney is like right. the, the most uh, um, you know like. Um, imitated uh british uh right. accent or we, we we try to do an rp right a received pronunciation um <laughs> and I, I was i was listening to a, a podcast covering this movie covering the exorcist mm -hmm. and they changed burke's accent to cockney <laughs> because that was the only <laughs> english accent they do. could do yeah when you do the queen and, and she's like oh i got now yeah yeah <laughs> Welcome to Buckingham Palace, eh? <laughs> oh, I'm the queen, innit? <laughs> oh, dear. Um, well, indeed. Okay, so, uh, we, yeah, we go from punchy to punch drunk. Um, so, Keenan, a while back, I had watched this movie with a friend, and it got to this part, uh, this part where Karis is training in the gym. And my friend turned to me and said, why are we watching this guy training in the gym? What does this have to do with anything? How is this relevant? And, you know, like we're going to see more scenes of Karis training. We're going to see him running, doing physical exercise. And I explained to my friend, I said, well, it's because we're showing this guy is physically strong, but weak in his faith. And we already saw that the priest from the beginning is the opposite. He's physically weak, but strong in his faith. And she said, oh, I see. Okay. And we continued watching, uh, but it was only for like uh, a little bit. And then she turned back again and said, because in a lesser movie, this would be like foreshadowing where he wins by punching the devil in the face. <laughs> and I said, ah, <laughs> well, I'm glad that, uh, that she, and you came to that. I, I don't like talking <laughs> during movies. <laughs> I, I, this is one of the reasons why I don't like talking to movies. Cause you end, you start making decisions about what the movie should be like, like movies are dreams in some ways, right? They work pre-verbally on us. They're doing all sorts of crazy things to us. And, mm -hmm. and then when to put it into words often um, solidifies us. So like we say, this is what this movie's about, even if it's not. And then when it doesn't turn out, our predictions don't turn out to be true, where our first impression turn out to be true, then we say it's a problem with the movie. Mm. I really, yeah, I really hate like people who live tweet films or um, mm. I really, really, really hate it. But I'm glad you came to that. Yeah, but I, I really um, like you never see somebody live tweeting and they're like, hey, I was wrong about this movie halfway through. <laughs> it's always like my first impression of this that I'm writing down into a into a funny joke. That's that's what I that's you know, that's what I felt the whole way through. And I, aren't I smart? You know, that's just that's just human nature. And if the movie should like wow me at the end and, you know, completely correct my uh, my comprehension of it. Um, well, I don't want to I don't want to lose face. I don't want to uh, go back on Twitter and, and be like, oh, yeah. well, I, I was wrong. Um, and a lot of, you know, the Exorcist is, is a 
it's a very good movie, but it's it's very much like in the narrative mode that like we have like American genre film, even though it's also really brilliant and really moving. But like there's a lot of outside of America, a lot of films are designed specifically that you're not supposed to know what the point of the movie is until the last moment of the movie. So like it's like, why am I watching this, et cetera, et cetera. And then it recontextualizes the way I like to say it in class. Like that's what a lot of art films or European style art films are like. And they recontextualize. So mm. um like a lot of the Dardenne brothers movies, they're the most important Belgian filmmakers right now. You just watch and like, Oh, this is fine. This is fine. This is fine. This is fine. And then you get to like the last line or the last look with you people. Are like, Oh my God, <laughs> that's what this whole thing has been about the entire time. And I didn't realize. And you just sob, you know, um, it is impossible if you're like, this is boring. This is a movie about waffles. <laughs> and that's all it is about waffles. But anyways, I'm glad your friend came today. That's a really, um, I like I like this uh, dichotomy that you talk about, about the difference between um, Father Marin and Father Karras. I think that's really yeah. useful. So, but yeah, what would that be like if he does punch the demon in the face? Hmm. Right. <laughs> and that's how, that's how he wins in the end. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, like I, I, and I have, I have, uh, yeah, yeah, we, we'll, we'll get to Chekhov's um, right hook uh, <laughs> eventually. <laughs> But uh, for now, uh, let's look at this minute. Uh, so uh, this scene of Karis beating the hell out of this punching bag comes immediately after him meeting his mother in Bellevue Hospital. Remember, that failed rescue attempt, that failed harrowing of hell, right? He could not do it, uh, could not save her because of the problem of Demi, right? Mm -hmm. How do you solve a problem like Demi? Um, yeah. uh, well, Apparently, you go to the gym and you punch the hell out of a punching bag. Uh, and I got to say, as someone who also works out, uh, <laughs> as someone who also works out. <laughs> you know, you say that, but I, I, I've kept track a little bit because I, that's a big part of your life. And this is only the second time in our show where you've mentioned that you like that you okay. like a bodybuilder. Good. I don't want to I don't want to be that guy <laughs> who's literally and figuratively flexing. On a non-visual medium. Right, exactly. Check out these non-visual guns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, okay, you only good. only brought it up twice. But uh, that's a huge part of your life. I just want people yes. to know. Like, you're not just like, so as much as you're going to say like, oh, you know, I work out a little or whatever. Like, this is a big part of what you do every every week. Yes, yes. yes. Um, <laughs> and, and for very selfish reasons, it's, you know, but like, like also, um, I mean, it's so therapeutic, right? And that's, and that's kind of like how I connected with, um, you know, with this, um, you know, this very brief scene where Karis is, is punching away at this punching bag really. And now I'm trying to think of any word other than hit. Right? Um, <laughs> it really impacted me. No, yeah. it, it struck me. Mm. Uh, it made an impression. No. Um, <laughs> it punched you in the face. It punched me in the face. God, so many <laughs> metaphors are just you getting punched in the face. Is that what, li is that what life is? Just a, a series of the universe punching us in the face? Are <laughs> yeah, we just the, in a, a boxing match with life? <laughs> the hell is wrong with people? Yeah, when they were developing English in the, in the uh, or the, sorry, let me say that. Yeah, like mm. when they were developing language in the Indus Valley <laughs> way mm. back when. <laughs> People got punched in the face a lot. Yeah. There were like door jams that were way too short, like a foot mm -hmm. too short. Mm -hmm. People were constantly knocking their faces into the door jams of every house they went into. Right. That's oh, another. Word. That's yeah. We need a we need a word for this. That's what I, was like. I, I love you so much. How much do you love me, William Shakespeare? Mm -hmm. I love you so much. It feels like being punched in the face repeatedly. <laughs> oh yeah, that's that Shakespeare. Well, we're falling into the Shakespeare trap. Oh again. no. <laughs> Good, we got one. <laughs> <laughs> but you've heard this about how Shakespeare has apparently invented like thousands of words of ours. Oh, have I heard this, Keenan? <laughs> I am 
I am Shakespeare's biggest fan. I, I don't pretend to know uh, as much about Shakespeare as, as other folks do, but like right. my kids are so tired of me talking about Shakespeare. Oh, oh, good. I was, well, <laughs> I have a theater back- background. I have an English writing background. Like he is, he is my spirit animal. Yeah. Yeah. But words that we like, he didn't necessarily use them the same way that we use them, right? But right. Like bubble mm-hmm. um, was a Shakespeare invention. Like how, how, what, mm. how, what did they, how did they, <laughs> what did they say before? <laughs> I, I, like I have a whole list up in my classroom, like uh, eyeball. Eyeball. What did they say before eyeball? I don't know. <laughs> uh, just, I guess I, I don't know. Um, lonely he invented. Oh gosh. Oh, you know, um, the other thing about Shakespeare before we get out of this Shakespeare trap yeah, yeah. is uh, this crazy idea that Harold Bloom has mm-hmm. that is um, it's it's one of these untestable theories. Right. Oh. Uh, but the idea of like when you look at Shakespeare's work, he's he's the, such a leap forward in characterization. Right. Yes. And psychology. Yes. And and Harold Bloom says it's not that Shakespeare was a genius and he started listing the ways that people are full three-dimensional characters rather than standing in for individual ideas. Mm. That wasn't Shakespeare's genius. Shakespeare's genius was that he invented human personality and was so incredibly influential that then we started adopting Shakespearean ideas as human personality. What? So it's Harold Bloom's Shakespeare and the invention of the human. Which is insane. (laughs) Probably not true, but just a wonderful sort of thought, right? Wow. Because we don't have any ev- we like that's Bloom's idea, right? I'm sure that right, they're right. right that, so I don't want to. I'm not going to tie my my boat to yeah, his yeah. punching bag or whatever. The opinions metaphor, of the maybe. Exorcist Minute do not necessarily <laughs> um, align with the opinions of Harold Bloom. <laughs> right, exactly. Right. But but yeah, but like that. Yeah, we we just assume that he was a genius in in reflecting, but he might have been a genius in inventing. Wow. Because we don't have other people before him doing the same thing at that same caliber, at least. Again, that's Bloom. I'm sure that there are other people beforehand, before right. Shakespeare, who have a claim to three-dimensional characters. But yeah. I don't know them. Boy, yeah. We don't mm. teach them in uh, in middle school. Nope, <laughs> so. nope, nope. Boy, is it life imitating art or is it mm-hmm. art imitating life? Gosh. Yeah, he has an, yeah, exactly. Life imitated Shakespeare. So we became, <laughs> we became like Lady Macbeth. We became like uh, King Lear rather than the other way around. Oh my God, that, that is a wild, th- I don't even know, I don't even know if I want to uh, uh, dip my toe into that at all. Like, that's, that's crazy. That's insane. That's crazy. When you really think about it, mm-hmm. God, and not to, okay. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're practically, you know, it's like worshiping Shakespeare right now. Um, you know, it's like groveling at his feet, but like, not to say that like he, he didn't have, uh, some bad days. Uh, one of my, <laughs> one of my favorite, one of my favorite things is, you know, is, okay. Yeah. So, so he invented all these words, right? Like nightmare and lonely and eyeball and, and all of these others. Right. And, and also like all of the, all of the kind of like the catchy phrases that we do, right? All's well that ends well. And, you know, um, uh, uh, out of thin air and, and I'm, I'm just, God, I have, I have a whole chart on my, on my wall, but like, yeah, so many things that, that is like swag. Swag? Swag is his, right? Huh. Like, yeah. Um, or, or, or unfriend. No. <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> no, my favorite, my favorite is, um, have you heard and wappened? No, what, what is okay, that? Okay, <laughs> so so that's one of those words, huh? Yeah, he doesn't like to talk about that. Well, he doesn't, you know, he's dead, but um, but uh, yeah, and wappened is a word that he that he tried to make happen, and uh, it didn't stick. Oh. And uh, there's there's a bunch of those, and uh, I I believe 
and folks can correct me on this, other like smarter Shakespeare scholars, I believe and weaponed like means like you're head over heels in love with someone. That's a great word. Yeah. So so like like uh you know, Romeo was enweaponed with Juliet mm. and Juliet was enweaponed with with Romeo. Um and that was just that that was that was the moment of like go home, Shakespeare, you're drunk. Right. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 we're not we're right. not doing that. You try as hard as you can to make that happen. Well, we're not we're not doing that one. Maybe in the new Warner Brothers cartoons that they're sure. producing right now, um Elmer Fudd can can be enweaponed with the and the female, the the um, Bugs Bunny and drag, the Lady Bugs Bunny, yeah, it's just yeah. weaponed by her. Yeah, <laughs> be very, very quiet. You know, my f- I'm sorry, performing we- Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Othello. <laughs> the the theater doesn't have great acoustics yet. <laughs> oh, I'm trying. Very quiet. Be very. <laughs> <laughs> I'm speaking to the back wall. <laughs> Womeo. <laughs> but I had I had what it's not a lisp what Elmer Fudd has, but I had that growing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what you call that where you can't pronounce your R's and, and Oh and, yeah. I should um, know that. Yeah, it's not a lisp. The, the Daffy Duck has the lisp. Right, right, right. So my father, you know, parents can do this thing where you just believe your what your parents are saying, you don't understand their jokes. Mm-hmm. So my I used to talk like that, you know, mm-hmm. until I was like five or six, I went to speech therapy. And so my father said, Oh yeah, we almost named you Elmer. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, he was geez. just ribbing me, you know, with my, you know, just kindly, you know, ribbing me. And I didn't realize mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. So I was telling people like, oh, yeah, they originally wanted to name me Elmer. And they're mm. like, what? What are you talking about? My parents <laughs> like, what? like, oh, you told me you wanted to name me Elmer. <laughs> See, parents like, like, pay attention to what you say around your kids because they'll remember it even if you right. don't. Kids yeah. are dumb. That's what I always say. Yeah. But you, you have to tell them when you're joking. Yeah. But they're also sponges. They're like <laughs> dumb sponges. <laughs> well, Keenan, at least you weren't named Goneril. <laughs> and, yeah. and Shakespeare trap. And Shakespeare. Let's climb out of this Shakespeare trap. Oh, my God. Exit exit Shakespeare trap pursued Stage by a bear. Stage right. Yeah. Yes. All right. Exempt. Yeah. So. Wait, come back. <laughs> Yeah, so I like that we have this little um, this little transitionary scene with Karis working out here. No dialogue. It's not like a scene that we would think of like with an arc or anything where he's, you know, but it's a nice little moment we have with him. Yeah. And, and like, again, like it, it really does speak to me in in this way of like, folks, like when when COVID was uh, was just, you know, at its height, um, you know, March of like 2020, and they started like closing the gyms down. Like, that's when I realized it's like, oh, like, this is therapeutic for me. Like, this is this is where you go when you want to like, like, get out all of your like strong feelings. It's like you go and you you lift weights and you, you know, you do that stuff. And like, I, I, I don't know why I just really, really liked this scene, right? Mm-hmm. Like he just had like a really, really emotionally uh, distressing moment. And now he's, you know, he's, uh, he's taking it out on this bag. Like, who is that bag? Is that bag Uncle Titosh? Uh, uh, uh. Is that bag the doctors? Is that, ba- you know, it's like, is that bag him? Is or, that bag God? Right, God. That's what I was going to say. I didn't know yeah. how, how, um, I didn't know how blasphemous that was, right? But yeah, well, you're yeah. taking out your frustrations at whoever it is, and right now it's God. Yeah. So, so yeah, you're, you're not going to like punch your uncle in the face, even though you really want to, right? In the same way that you're not going <laughs> to punch a little girl that you're mad at because, you know, <laughs> that would be, all right, well. Um, lesser yeah. film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lesser film, uh, as quoted by my friend. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the review, right? <laughs> four stars. It's not one star. It's four stars, right? Mm-hmm. That, that little punch. Um, but yeah. Can we also talk about how this scene looks straight out of Rocky? Mm-hmm. 
like we made the observation before that Jason Miller looks a little like Rocky, right? Um, he's got, he's got an uncle who looks and acts like Pauly. Uh, he's not Italian, but like I said, when I was little and not as learned as I am now, I mistook the whole scene with his mother in her home when, uh, he was sitting down to eat and she was speaking Greek. I mistook that for Italian mm -hmm. and now he's punching a bag. And this is before Rocky, right? Like Rocky came out in 76. And again, folks, like you can fact check me on this, but I swear I heard somewhere, although I couldn't find it again before this recording, so maybe I just dreamed it, but I swear <laughs> I heard that some of the training scenes in Rocky were inspired by Karis's training scenes here. Again, that sounds ridiculous, as ridiculous as Shakespeare inventing the human personality. <laughs> but like, you know, these movies are so different, but I, I don't know. But this was mm. the highest grossing film of all time. And, you know, it was a it was a big, big hit. So, you know, while John G. Uh, Avildsen is making Rocky directing it and mm. and um I'm not sure when Stallone started writing Rocky, mm. but certainly they would have, you know, as they're getting ready to make the movie, they'd be very aware of The Exorcist. Yeah, yeah. Even if you don't have like that smoking gun of of, of having, I mean, they, it would have been impossible for them to have not have seen this movie, I think. They'd yeah, have to go out yeah. of their way to not see it. Yeah, and I definitely, uh, like, I, I definitely want to... Um um talk about that at some point like we just recently watched uh um the the cultural impact there's a, there's like a youtube uh documentary it's about 20 minutes long it's just called the exorcist the cultural impact and it talks about like guys you had to like literally be living under a rock mm -hmm. not to experience this thing when it first came out there were people lining up for hours for five six hours just to get into this thing they had to have like like they had to like like make a whole new economy of of like tickets they had to have coupons for tickets so you could get a ticket so you could get in and see this movie and then people would come in they would like faint or throw up or run out and they wouldn't even see the whole thing and then they would you know like get back in line and, and try to see it again it was it right. was insane it the took, movie was it, on the news like the regular yeah. non-entertainment news right 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 like if if there was an internet at that time you could say that this movie broke it mm -hmm. right it, it certainly broke like like city blocks and you know like stopped traffic and all this stuff i'd love to find more about the specific case maybe if i can do some research later but there was a woman who apparently fainted during a screening of the film and and hurt her jaw and she sued warner brothers for that and they settled uh for it i did hear about that yeah yeah, yeah. Um, i heard that like anecdotally it was um um yeah it was mentioned um but uh yeah i wonder if there is like more detail out there on that right so i mean just considering how rare that is now now on the news there might be something about avatar 2 which is the big movie right now as we're coming out but it wouldn't it, it would be you know, definitely not like like features about it. It's like, oh, Avatar Two is out, and it might it might be the highest grossing film of all time, but mm -hmm. that's it. <laughs> yeah, it's not like this phenomenon here. Right. They would stick to like like the numbers. It was like, right. oh yeah, it's 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 selling this much, or you know, it's right. doing this well. Yeah. Uh, in any case, we work hard and we play hard here at the Exorcist Minute. So let's leave Karis um, to continue his training, and let's go to. A party. Guys, Chris McNeil, the Chris McNeil, is having a party, and we're invited. Uh, time has passed. We see that it's night outside the Chris, uh, the McNeil home. Long, sleek, expensive-looking cars are pulling up to the home. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry. I, I like this. It's like, because, again, we have all that movement from before with mm -hmm. other cars, and then we have the camera kind of moving in, and these cars, like, it's really dumb. But the choreography of these cars makes perfect sense to us, right? One mm -hmm. comes up and parks in front of the house. The other one passes in front of it and then parks in the driveway. If you mm -hmm. were to think about 
this is one of the things if you were shooting this, you'd be like, this doesn't make any sense, actually, mm-hmm. that they're working that quickly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're not like taking turns, but they're both parking at essentially the exact same time within feet of each other. But right. it just feels right. It feels like, oh, this is the happening place. Like this is, yeah. Look, we know it's, we know we're kind of prepared for the fact that when we cut inside, we're not just going to see Chris and Sharon eating like uh, Chinese takeout. Right, right. Oh, I didn't even think about that yet. But yeah, that's, this is, it's like shorthand for, um, yeah, like what we're going to see in, in uh, just a second. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Party okay. over here. That's what Cleveland on, on the Family Guy says. That that's what a, um, a balloon on a, on a mailbox means. <laughs> it means party <laughs> over here. There we go. <laughs> oh my God. But yeah. So, uh, and then we cut to inside and we're treated to a throng of mm. party goers. Uh, learn that word from The Hobbit. Uh, perfectly <laughs> describes this large group of people. And, I also got to say, seeing this scene pre-COVID, I'm sure I had a different feel uh, uh, about it uh, mm-hmm. than I do now, living in a world where we are still dealing with COVID. Folks, listening uh, uh, in the future, it's 2023, and we still have this problem. It was an observation that was uh, going around at the height of COVID that uh, seeing a scene like this in old movies with like large groups of people all like tightly packed into a room, it sort of feels weird watching mm-hmm. them. Um and I hope uh, that will go away eventually. And and yeah, even though it's much better now than it was when COVID was like a huge problem, my mind still went there without me wanting to. I was like, oh, that's a lot of people. Um, that might be like a generational wound for us that we have. Yeah. To, like it might not go away the same way. But man, during the, the height of it. Oh, yeah. I would watch like a movie from the 40s and be like, oh, they don't have their mask on. <laughs> right. <laughs> like it's in black. And like, oh, my God. They can't do that. Or I saw um, Disney's uh, Disney Pixar Soul. Mm-hmm. which is in New yeah. York City. And it was like mm-hmm. their, their first big movie um, during COVID. And, mm-hmm. and like, oh my God, and the people just, just walking across each other, right? And a part of it is oh like, um, kind of like this angel character who like goes to earth and and they like, put their hands on everything and they like pizza and they're like running their hands along the, along like um, subway grates and stuff oh like God. that. I'm like, Oh no, don't, <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> you don't know. Wow. Um, yeah. So if you're listening in the future, COVID was a really, really big deal for us. Um, yeah. We don't really understand the way that it's, it's changed our society or, mm. um, you know, because humanity has been wiped out by COVID part five. Right. And, uh, yeah. And this is the last record you have of us. So we call that gorilla COVID. Um, <laughs> So, hey, yeah, that's the one with like a uh, spinning death blades. Um, <laughs> and they're like, so they so they were in COVID part four. Mm-hmm. Right. And they were in the COVID lockdown part four. And they sat around recording thoughts about some horror movie from the 70s. That's how they spent their last days. Yeah, yeah that's yep, right. Yep. Yep, that's exactly right. right? And then somehow um, the COVID virus was transferred into computers. And then watching TikTok would give you COVID. And so that was a whole thing, <laughs> folks. So I hope you're listening to this with right. a mask on. <laughs> Humanity has evolved past the need for orifices at this point, mm. whoever's still listening to this. Right. <laughs> <laughs> They're just impermeable plastic shells. Wow. Yep. To match their personalities. No. Oh, no, no. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. no we that love was... you in the future. Yes, yes, yes. In 3023, we love you. 3023. Wow. Yeah. That's uh, how many Exorcist remakes have uh, <laughs> have gone by, folks. I can't believe we didn't even talk about this. Yes, because people have been asking um, uh, on the on the listener group and and through email. Yes, we we are absolutely going to talk about um, uh, the Exorcist. Uh, what is it? Reboot? Sequel? What? What the heck is it? A like, requel? 
Arik, oh Jesus! Did that's you just lo- no, no, that no, 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 no. My Hollywood friend, that's a people. Mr. Shakespeare over here. <laughs> yeah, reboot sequels like Ghostbusters Afterlife is a requel. I see. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, we will definitely talk about it. But we're not looking forward to it, right? Like, I, I like, I'm looking forward to seeing an Exorcist movie in the theater. Mm-hmm. That's that's my big thing. I I already have, um, you know, my guard up. Uh, I, I like I I love this book so much, and mm-hmm. and and I love this movie. Like I, I don't think, and this is me not having seen it. Um, you know, so future Lester might uh, come on here and uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, apologize or whatever. But I I have a, a feeling culture was a certain way when this movie came out, and this movie spoke to that culture. Right, mm-hmm. everybody there, there was a lot more catholic stuff going on uh in the 1970s and so this movie hit really hard how do you hit really hard now like we would have to know what affects us deeply right stuff about like you know i mean i i, I talk about like being you know uh, uh uh spiritual still but like stuff about god doesn't um have the same impact as it as it uh, did when this first came out right i think it's completely fair yeah yeah. Um, and so like, what is, what is the scare? What is the big threat? What is the big, you know, thing? Um, it, like, I feel like it would just be, I feel like the, the movie would, would constantly be like, Hey, remember back when this movie first came out and it was scary. Mm-hmm. Hey, remember that? Remember that? I want you to remember that while you're watching this movie. Like, yeah. Like, like, how do you, how do you, you would have to, you would have to f- figure out what scares us as a culture now. Yeah, there's a handful of movies that have tried that with climate change, right? Mm. Which is sort of the the sort of Damocles over all of our heads. And some have worked and some have not. So the remake of The Day the Earth Stood Still, because the first remake is explicitly about nuclear war and the aliens come down and they're like, do you want to be better and get rid of all your nuclear weapons or will or should we destroy you before you bring nuclear weapons into the universe? You know, so that's explicitly about that. So the remake of that just doesn't work as well. It's it's the aliens come down and they're like, you need to be better about climate change or we will destroy humanity so that you don't kill all the other species. And, you know, maybe that could work, but it just doesn't the movie just doesn't work. Right. So we can't yeah. we don't not quite sure of like, oh, is it the theme that's the problem? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a smaller movie, an art movie by Paul Schrader, who wrote uh, Taxi Driver. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he remade uh, essentially remade Bergman, Ingmar Bergman's Winter Light oh. um, into a movie called First Reformed. Hmm. Um, and the first win- in Winter Light, we have, uh, oh, Max von Sydow, oh. um, who is a character who goes to his priest and he is, he is really disturbed by the idea of nuclear war. And he's like, why should I have a family? Why should I go to work? Why should I do anything if the world's going to be destroyed and, and there's no God if, you know, there's going to be a nuclear war. And here in Sweden, even though we're neutral, we're still going to be wiped out. Yeah. Right. Hmm. And so then the remake of that is um, with um, Ethan Hawke talking to a man and the man is having the same conversation about about, um, climate change. What's the point of, you know, my my wife is pregnant, but who cares? Um, Why should I go to work? Why should I be bringing this child into the world? Why should I do anything if climate change is there? Yeah. 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 Mm. And I mean, like, you know, uh, this this movie, this book, this story certainly talks about stuff that that still does affect us today, right? You know, it's like like life and death, and and good and evil, and existential dread, and and all of that stuff. So, I like I'm I'm, you know, I'm hopeful that you know they have some stuff to work with, but like I, I don't know, like it's it's without the religious aspect, a demon kind of is, it's like a mean ghost. <laughs> 
It's a real sassy, bitchy ghost. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, because like, you know this, I'm sure a lot of our listeners know this. People are less religious in America. We're still the most religious of all the industrialized countries in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, Like we go to church more, we identify as religious more. But that's been declining. And then even the people who still identify as religious, they in general have become more, oh, what's the word? Um, um, Oh, geez, there is a word for it. But people who Mm. are like sympathetic to other people's beliefs, right? About like, oh, right. like this is what I believe, but I don't believe it's the only truth. There's, there's a word, there's a much better word for that. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, like, like back in the day, like, it, you know, if you were of another religion, even of, of like, uh, like another, like Christian religion, mm-hmm. yeah. um, like you were thought of as like a heathen, you were thought, you yep. were thought it was like, well, you're definitely going to hell. Um, like for not being like a, uh, an Anglican or a Protestant oh. or a, or a Catholic or something like that. You're, you know, it's like, even though you worship Jesus, you're, you're still going to go to hell. That's yeah. Like, there's, there's still people like that around. Obviously I was really struck in the 2012 campaign. There was a, a video of Mitt Romney in an Iowa cafe and he goes to shake a man's hand and the man, old man, much older than Romney, like has his arms crossed and he's like, nope. And I'm like, oh, this guy is like a Democrat or something, you know, but he, but he says, I'm, I would never shake the hand of a Mormon. And I went, oh, <gasps> Like in wow. public on TV, <laughs> like this is what you've done. Like that's awful, right? That just yeah, that just shocks yeah. the hell out of me. Um, but there are still people like that. But yeah, in general, people are more. Oh, oh I was going to try to think of the word again. <laughs> right, it's like universal, universal, or, 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 or ecumenical, like, something. Oh my god, it is on. It's on the tip of my tongue too. It's it's it's. <laughs> je- not tolerant, but like that's not yeah, that's not exactly no. what we're saying. But yeah, but the idea that like okay, I have my beliefs and you have your beliefs and we, we could both work together and like live and let live and you know. yeah. Th- so that was different in the 1970s like, to be Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, right, we forget that because Catholic is such a huge um, chunk of the Christian population, but they were right. heavily discriminated against in the 1970s. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, um, JFK barely won election in 1960, and some untold number of of the popular vote was against him because he was Catholic. Mm-hmm. Where that's not a problem for Biden. I don't. I don't know if they even poll that anymore. Our second Catholic president. I don't think that was even polled. Like, right. are you not going to vote for Biden because he's Catholic? Because he's Catholic, right? right? Yeah. But they did. That did. That number did show up a little, very small amount for Romney. Like, mm-hmm. you would not vote for him because he's LDS, Latter Day Saint. All right. Right. Very. Yeah. Like. Like. This is. It. Like. I'm. I'm excited. I'm definitely going to see it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to see it so that I can have an exorcist experience. Um. <laughs> And, you know, like, like, and I'm hopeful, right? You know, hey, you know, uh, what is it? Like, um, conviction, communion, hope, right? I have all of that, right? Uh, I don't want any doubt, isolation, or despair, but uh, yeah. But again, like, these movies are made during a certain culture, like, from a certain culture, from a certain people, um, or at least they're, they're, you could either see them as artifacts of the people making them. Mm-hmm. Or artifacts of the people watching them, right? Like I'm yes. making a movie for a perceived audience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oftentimes those are the same things, but sometimes they're not. Um, yeah. So, and then here today, right? It's not the perceived audience. It's like literally us, you and me watching this movie. And now we're thinking of COVID. <laughs> we're thinking right. of mass. We're thinking about how irresponsible Chris McNeil to have a party like this. <laughs> and next week, what? You're going to go to the White House and bring whatever whatever terrible germs these ugly people have on their faces. You're, you're going to get the president you're sick. You're going to get Richard Nixon sick. <laughs> How could you? <laughs> we don't even know what he's done yet. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh my god! And and yes, just to to wrap that up, folks. Um, we will see it, and we are going to talk about yes, it sure. on this show. Like we are, we are definitely going to talk about it. Um, we're not going to do that movie minute by minute. Um, <laughs> I think we'll have an episode where we talk about our impression of um of of the movie yeah, for sure, absolutely. Um, but yeah. So back to this party now. 
this party is apparently so large and so prestigious that it needs a guest book. <laughs> did you did you catch that in the first shot? Like we got this older couple and they're they're signing this guest book in the lower right. <laughs> they're at like a table with some candles. No, right? I Do didn't you see, this? see that. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> so I don't know what else that would be. No, it's um, a guest book, right? They're yeah, not it's putting their book. order. They're not like sixteen McNuggets for me, right? Sharon, <laughs> Carl, get this, get this, you know, out for us, Willie. Um, yeah, it, and again, right with these candles and all these people. Pack, I just I cannot imagine how stuffy, like with the candles mm-hmm. and the people in the suits and everything like that. Like every time I see, um, you know, those Christmas movies where like it's a happy ending, where like everybody in the freaking movie is all like together in one mm-hmm. room and they're having Christmas dinner, but they're all like dressed in like Victorian D- D- Dickensian, <laughs> like you know, with a scarf and the hat, and and you got a, a roaring fire and you got candles on the on the Christmas tree for some freaking reason, and you uh, you also got candles at the table. I was like, oh my god, like I would I would be suffocating in that mm-hmm. in that scene, right? Like I would just I would need some fresh air. It's like, can we please open a window? Like I'm gonna right. die, COVID or not? <laughs> okay, but yeah, so. Um, yeah. And we also have Willie here answering the door and Carl is there. Um, this party is in full swing already. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and we're only in the, like the foyer, the foyer, foyer. Yeah. Um, and once again, our, our camera does this really cool thing that we've seen before where it moves and we see that the banister is between us and the party. Right. The first time I watched this, Mm -hmm. right. Like I thought it's like, oh, Oh, wait, wait, you were going to say something? Oh, no, just I love that. That's a recurring thing in this movie, and it just yeah. works so well. It's like moving like like behind stuff, and we see, like, uh, we get a better sense stuff of Stuff like, that we, we didn't are. even know was there. Yeah, right? And the first time I, th- I watched this, I thought, oh, this is like Reagan's POV. She's upstairs watching her mom play hostess, right? She's watching mom being not mom, but being uh, like a big time actress, Chris McNeil. And I'm not even saying I saw this when I watched the film as a casual viewer. I'm saying right now. Before this recording, taking notes, I was like, oh, yeah, this is Reagan's POV, Mm -hmm. right? She witnesses the other side of her mother. But Keenan, Reagan is right there. Where? (laughs) She's she's right next to her mom. Uh, It's hard to catch. We see her for maybe a second. She's tiny. She's a little girl. Her mom's mom's wearing bright blue and she's wearing bright pink. Everyone else is in those stayed like Georgetown colors, right? Right. So they just stand out like that. Yeah. Right. It's very hard to catch, right? We see her for maybe a second. And then the POV sinks behind the banister and Mm. she's gone. So Keenan, if Reagan is there, who's on the stairs (laughs) looking down at all this? No, he got out. (laughs) He's creepily, creepily hiding behind the banister and observing, right? I I thought he was in the basement or the attic, right? He's here now too. Like how much of the house is he infected? He's everywhere. He's everywhere. That's right? interesting. Yeah, because, um, you know, because it's like me knowing the movie too well, mm-hmm. I'm very aware that Reagan is upstairs and Angie's being tucked into bed. Right. right? Yeah. Like, but no, that's not what's happening. Yeah. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know the next scene is Reagan in bed. Right. Yes. Right. But right now she's down there. She's down there with mom. So she gets her- to enjoy the party. A little bit, yeah. So what's Reagan so mad about? Because right, because like, okay, so I guess we're we're going into next minutes, right? Right, right. But, yeah. but like the way I, I popularly remember the movie is that Reagan is upstairs and her mom tucks her in, and she isn't happy that she doesn't get to be a grown up. And this then later at the after party, which is several minutes ahead, right? right the, the after party, she comes and does something pretty naughty, pretty naughty, right? right. Yeah. So um, Reagan rags. What are you so mad about? You got to come to the party. <laughs> I think it's. I think it's. I think it's less Reagan and more her. Her. Her good old friend. Oh no! Be a naughty. Yeah. Yep. Oh, Captain boy. Naughty Pants. <laughs> Captain Naughty Pants. This is yeah. 
we we got to pin this all on you, Captain Howdy. Like, oh boy. But yeah, it, like to sort of further drive home that point, mm-hmm. right? The brief shot that we get of Reagan in the beginning, she looks like normal Reagan, mm-hmm. right? Like, yes. like in, if you watch, like it's just a couple of milliseconds, right? But she's greeting the guests with her, with her mom, right? She looks happier than we have seen her in a long yes, time. Absolutely. She's talking to grownups. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's helping. She's assisting. She's in the nice little dress. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. So I'm talking I, like like I'm taking that to mean that that Captain Howdy is at least for the time elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And so I see Happy Reagan and I'm like, wait, then whose POV is this? <laughs> Where's and then, Howdy? <laughs> right. And then that's the exact moment when the POZ, POV shifts mm-hmm. and the banister floats up between us. And it's like, oh, my God, who are we with? Who is hiding on the stairs watching all of this? You are absolutely correct. That's that's a, that's the only way to read this from now on. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No more interpretation, people at home. Yeah, There's yeah. the lesser way of reading. No, but you're absolutely right. That's great. That's absolutely, that's yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we say, folks, you know, that there is no right way or wrong way to uh, uh, view uh, art or, or consume art. But uh, but no, this is objectively the right way. <laughs> the only yeah, way. no, that changes the way I see the scene for sure. Yeah, that's Captain Howdy on the stairs. Reagan um, had a lovely time at the party and someone tells her that she didn't. Yes. And this is a person, you know, she's she's built uh, up a trust with, right? Mm-hmm. She's going to, she's going to say, Hey, remember when, remember when your mom introduced you to like that astronaut and that priest as rags, <laughs> right? Right. I remember that. Pepperidge Farm remembers that. <laughs> right. Pepperidge Farm remembers. <laughs> this is my stink pot daughter. My barefaced daughter. You said that she sounds like Elmer Fudd. He <laughs> 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 told all your friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> your mom tucked you in so that they could all laugh at you downstairs. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. That's what's going on. <laughs> Jeez, this is scary. You know, and you know, and you know, Reagan, I particularly don't like that astronaut let's uh let's go back down there right. i have a great idea this is what we're gonna say to him get your naughty pants on right yeah. oh my god <sighs> but yeah okay so we cut away to a larger room and a larger group of well-heeled ladies and gents mm-hmm. in little pockets of conversation um and then also some close shots of people talking animatedly and I always wonder with these big parties like in film, I imagine it's all improvised or or maybe you might have like little beats, little uh, rehearsed pieces of dialogue, mm-hmm. um, but nothing scripted like Friedkin or Blatty wouldn't bother to be like, OK, I want you to say exactly this unless he knew it was going to get picked up. Uh, by the camera, by the mic. Um, but right. I always wondered, like, like directors and editors and <laughs> podcasters mm-hmm. who like watch things really closely, like we're going to catch some of that improvised dialogue, especially if it's from a film that you watch over and over again, right? You're going to be able to pick out uh, some background images, some background sounds, stuff that you're not supposed to notice. Um, like I use, I use Final Cut Pro, like when I'm making like my little short films and uh, there's a, there's a file in there, a Walla file. And mm-hmm. folks, like a Walla is a sound effect of like large crowds uh, speaking or murmuring or shouting. Yeah. Let's, um, let's do a little bit for them. Lester, like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we do a Walla. Oh, peas and carrots. You know, Shakespeare invented person. <laughs> right and some of it just recorded and kept forever so some of right. them just become um a lot of sound uh designers have mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. files they like a lot and they keep them around yeah um but yeah it, like like the famous wilhelm scream is right. like you know is right in there right and um have we talked I about that before um i don't think we've talked about the wilhelm scream and i can't uh imitate it oh i was here. gonna ask you to <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, 
like all you got to do is just Google Wilhelm scream and like, you know, listen to like a little sound bite of it and you'll know exactly. Yeah, it's a what, sound like, effect from the fifties that, um, that was very useful. It, it's never meant to be like foregrounded. Like it's always hmm. like background people, like some guy, some guy getting shot off of a horse and he goes, ah, mm-hmm. I did a terrible, right, terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, see, that's why I didn't do one. it. Great, great, great. Well, now you have me on, on tape doing it. Yeah, there's a better <laughs> one doing it. And so then a lot of sound engineers just used it and sound designers used it over and over again. And then by mm-hmm. the time that sound design became a really big deal and people were like going into that as as like film fans and film artists, that, that Wilhelm scream became something that they, that they used almost as an in-joke for themselves, right? Right, And now it's right. become that. So it's very prominently in um, like uh, Indiana Jones 2, Mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. have a guy who falls off and gets eaten by crocodiles and we use that mm. like that's uh, impossible to avoid hearing it right whereas yeah, before right. it was like oh that's a background character this is a really small moment yeah mm-hmm, yeah i i hear it a lot in like mel brooks films right. and, and mm-hmm. stuff like that right um and yeah it, like that that's almost kind of like the to the detriment of like uh the folks who used it first right in like a non-funny way right. and you just hear this wilhelm scream and you're like oh okay um i just heard one of those actually in oh i can't remember which movie that we just saw black mm. black panther wakanda forever maybe perhaps oh um there is a there's a uh, a police radio dispatch that um, mm-hmm. I don't know the name of, but I've heard I've heard it enough. Um, and it's a, it's a woman. She's a dispatcher. She goes seventy six nine Fifth Avenue. Fifth Avenue. And it's like the exact same thing. And like I heard it in black. I was like, wait a minute. Like like at, at that point, I'm sure that the sound designer knows that that's like a stock thing. Like on a Marvel picture. <laughs> oh, you mean, you mean like, like somebody speaking over the radio, like, like a walla for somebody speaking yes. over the radio. Like, oh, yeah. like that must be, if I can recognize it, I'm not a sound person, but I've heard it yeah. enough. I'm sure that the sound designers there, you know, on a, a quarter of a billion dollar production, like Black Panther mm-hmm. too. Um, they know that that's like, you know, that they could have gone and recorded that themselves and got a whole new file. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, like we got like with the advent of video games as well, like every time, um, a door closes and it sounds like uh, the door from Resident Evil. Mm-hmm. I hear it because because in games you go through doors a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, that's where I right? first heard this dispatch noise. Yeah, it was in a video game. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. right. Because you hear it over and, and over are, and over again. Exactly right. So so like I I'm wondering if that's like like uh, we as filmmakers, we as artists are going to kind of like um you know get more careful with that. It was mm-hmm. like oh like any sound that that goes into a video game and people are playing it and dying and playing it again, mm-hmm. like that sound is going to be really really recognizable. So we can't even have that in the background of a of a big movie, like, right? So the way that this works with like this exorcist scene, so I don't know specifically about the details of these extras, these background actors, right? But um, you as an extra is rare for you to be allowed to actually speak as an extra. Mm, mm. Um, and oftentimes you are just, yes, saying the words peas and carrots or something like that. Like you're talking right. about, like you're mouthing it um, to the point actually where I saw that um, they were auctioning off once for like the Academy or some kind of charity, a, a, mm. a background acting role in a Woody Allen movie. Oh, and Jennifer Tilly, who had been in a Woody Allen movie, she was uh, nominated mm. for um, bullets over Broadway. She was like, Woody lets you, oh, let me do my Jennifer Tilly. <laughs> What's okay. great about being in a Woody movie is that he lets you say whatever you want. You know, so like, <laughs> so like that is, um, so that was the appeal there. He's, he lets the actors actually talk, right? Oh. So here, so that's rare enough for people to comment on it. So here, unless, unless it was Friedkin or Blatty or a combination of the two of them on the day saying like, hey, extra, we're going to give you a line. Mm-hmm. They, they were not you know, given lines. Um, Interesting. And, and sometimes you would get, um, you'll see this in the credits sometimes, like you'll get crowd voices. So you'll have people come mm. in uh, like voice actors like Lester. 
right. hire Lester <laughs> as a voice actor to do crowd noises. Please do. Yes. Yeah, yeah. To do crowd noises where they'll come in and do this. So I'm sure every once in a while, it's something where you're trying to match, you know, for an actor who wasn't actually recorded. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. sure that must happen. Yes. Oh, yeah. Like ADR. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Speaking of ADR, guys, right? Uh, like, um, you know, uh, um, that happened in um, uh, this minute. Mm-hmm. Right. If you go back, if you go back to um, uh, Damien and his uncle mm-hmm. talking, right, that is definitely that is most definitely not the the sound of their voices recorded on the day. Right. Right. You can you can hear, uh, you know, it's slightly you can hear the mic as as ridiculous as that sounds. You can hear the microphone. Mm-hmm. Um, both of those both of those guys are, are speaking in front of a microphone and they kind of like they're overdubbing um, the uh, uh, the scene that's going on, probably because they were filming outside and mm-hmm. probably like the background noise was way too uh, loud for their actual yeah, you're shooting really up. in New York City. That's um, mm-hmm. that's almost impossible to, to really do. Yeah. So that's right. autom- automatic dialogue replacement is what ADR yes. stands for. Um, yes. So that means that people this is one of the the really interesting difficult things about film acting that's different from Mm. theater acting is that one of the things you have to do as a film actor that you have to train yourself for and i think it's very hard and you probably find it fun Mm. um is to go in and look at a performance that you did months ago like Mm, three or four months ago and because the nature of film like you're not as in theater you're generally trying to get the perfect take or what you think is the perfect take, right? Yes. You're generally mm-hmm. trying to do that. Obviously, that's not always the case. Theater actors don't write me. But like you're tr- there's, there's an idea that you have and you're trying to do it that you worked on rehearsal. In, mm-hmm. in film, you're basically rehearsing three or four times on camera and then recording it. You don't know which one is the right one. Right. So you might have even thought like, oh, the one that I thought was the best one is not what's in the movie. The director and the right. editor have worked together. They've already decided that. So like you're watching yourself from four, five, six months ago on a Marvel film mm-hmm. two years ago, you know? Yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh, I don't even remember giving this performance because I didn't. This isn't right. the one I liked. And then you have to perfectly match your own lip movements from you know months and months ago, right? And give the exact same performance, which is like. Very difficult <laughs> because the other yeah. actor isn't there. It's just you and the director and the sound engineers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The other actor isn't there with you. You're not in the same costume. You've gained 30 pounds, you know, all this stuff, right? right? Yeah, uh, it's really, really, really hard. And that's something that's just, just inherently different, not better or worse, but different for film acting than uh, theater acting. Right. And as as much as like, you know, Sir Michael Caine says that the camera picks up every little nuance, right? The camera picks up like like in your eyes, like what you're thinking about almost, right? Like, like every little twitch, every little micro expression that you do, right? Every little, in the same way that the camera is like, like even more observant than the human eye, Mm -hmm. um, the microphone picks up everything, like absolutely everything. Um, like where you stumble on a word, where you hesitate, where your inflection goes up and down. Um, like it can, like I said, like go back and listen to, uh, Karis and his uncle. You can tell, even though you can't maybe tell why, but you can tell that that's not their actual voices outside. Mm -hmm. You can tell that it's been ADR'd. Um, and it's just like our, like the microphone picks up everything. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, yeah, that's, again, one of the big differences between theater acting and, and film acting is like, you know, an audience member, like it happens fast and you can't rewind and you can't pause. Mm-hmm. And the audience member is like way in the back or like, even if they're like right up, you know, on the stage, they're, they're going to miss some things that a close up and a microphone are going to catch. Right. Right. The theater so performance be- is not designed for the, for a close up anyways. 
Right. right. Yes. Right. Yes. So, and, and, and like, you know, back to, you know, talking about like stock, um, you know, wallas and, mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, um, like background, uh, noise files and stuff like that. Right. Like, of course, Freakin's not doing this, right. He didn't have Final Cut Pro. Um, and even, and even if he did, right. Like Keenan said, like, he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who would, you know, cut corners and, you know, uh, you know, do a pre-made sound file. Right. So all this stuff here, um, uh, would you say, well, no, you said, you said like that they're not actually talking. So it'd be very unusual if that was the case. Yeah. It'd be very, mm. very unusual. And then, um, there's a guy named Robert Altman who specialized in party type movies. He did mash and, um, mm-hmm. Nashville is sort of his masterpiece and there's 24 main characters in Nashville mm-hmm. uh, and they're in parties like this. And he had to actually invent, um, right before Nashville. So like 70, like, so somewhere between when the exodus was shot in Nashville in 1975, he had to invent new recordings so that we could record multiple people talking at the same time. Mm, so interesting. So again, I don't know for the exodus, they might've tried to reproduce that or done some early version of that, but, but yeah. it would have been incredibly difficult to have two sides of a conversation for these extras and just let them yeah. sort of go crazy. And, and then, um, you know, not impossible, but unlikely. Yeah. Now there there is one like little snippet of conversation that I did catch. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got like, like we cut away uh, and, and we got these two older ladies um, and uh, the one sitting is like, like I told you, but then her grandfather <laughs> and, and then we cut away and, and I'm like, her grandfather, what? <laughs> like, what about her grandfather? <laughs> like, like I, w- I want to hear the rest of that story. Is, is it a story? Is it a real event that this actor is using? Because like, she doesn't, think anybody is going to catch it well guess what <laughs> yeah. lady we caught it it's so now cough it up like what's what's the deal with her grandfather we got to know yeah it's lost but, to history <laughs> yeah it's lost to hi- like and and we'll never know it's like like is this like the like is this two extras like talking uh, about like like some real life thing mm-hmm. or did they there's like hey let's let's have like a whole little backstory about grandfathers yeah know? and in the script at least the script that we have which is from december of 72 none mm. of this dialogue is in there so mm-hmm. again we go it, it's all sort of um all over the place in terms of the order, we go from the client scenes, the Dr. Klein scenes from earlier, mm-hmm. directly to this party. So you don't yes. have any of the Father Kara stuff or any of the Mary Karas. Mm-hmm. And then none of this dialogue that we've seen so far is in the script. So there's whole pages that are in the original script that aren't in the film of sort of this uh, party dialogue, but nothing about the father, nothing about the grandfather. Mm-hmm. Rather. Right, right. So Vladi right. might have written it for those ladies, but um, it's just mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. in the original uh, draft of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I like how we start out with a group of people and we sort of like follow them and it looks like we're going to like be with them, um, you know, as they, as they, uh, go, but then they join the flow that's going to the left. And so Mm -hmm. these people sort of act like curtains opening up on the scene with Burke and the astronaut, Mm -hmm. right? Like a little wipe. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, and I really like that, like using people using, um, like your actors as kind of like a transition. Like Mm -hmm. that's really cool. Yeah. That's Um, really neat stuff. Yeah, I'm always a sucker for that stuff. Um, and also, I, I got to say that I'm very disappointed that our astronaut is not dressed like an astronaut. Um, that's always how it's been in my head. That's my head canon. Right? Yeah, you I said that on the show and you totally convinced me that he was he was just an astronaut. <laughs> so when I when he shows up here and he's he's dressed uh, interestingly, like he has an interesting looking coat, so he stands out as a real character, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. not as interesting as it could have been. <laughs> right. <just> people. <laughs> it's like. Chris, what are you doing? You gotta, you gotta like sprinkle your party with like some astronauts and some firemen, and you know you were you were just with a bunch of doctors, right? Like get some get some Halloween costumes in there. Right. Come on. Yeah. So right? yeah, that what could have been you've uh, you've showed me. <laughs> they were only brave enough. <laughs> One innovation at a time, Keenan. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like we had Shakespeare inventing personalities, and you know we can't have Friedkin, um, you know, shooting off guns 
and having astronauts at parties, right? Yeah, that's so. So yeah, that's my head cannon. Um, <laughs> certainly after Reagan says the thing to him, uh, I think he's going to wear it all the time just to be safe. <laughs> right, his life support system strapped to his back, yeah. <laughs> just in case. <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, uh, we got classic Burke here. Um, this line is directly from the book. Um, here he's like talking to. Uh, in the book, he's talking to the senator. Right. And Chris only finds out about it after the senator leaves the party in a huff, right? Um, so so the book says, like, in a guarded tone, uh, Sharon described an encounter between the senator and the director. Dennings uh, had remarked to him in passing, said Sharon, that there appeared to be an alien pubic hair floating around in my gin. Then he'd turned to the senator and added in a tone that was vaguely accusatory, never seen it before in my life. Have you... Chris giggled as Sharon went on to describe how the senator's embarrassed reaction had triggered one of Denning's chaotic rages, in which he'd expressed his boundless gratitude for the existence of politicians, since without them, one couldn't distinguish who the statesmen were, you see. When the senator had moved away in a huff, the director turned to Sharon and said proudly, There, you see, I didn't curse. Now then, don't you think I handled that rather demurely? Uh, yeah, in the, in the script, it's also the senator and not the astronaut. Interesting. Um, and so, like, I like that they kept this in, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I like how, like, later on, I, I believe in the next minute, um, we get kind of uh, the punchline in a different form where he's like, now nah, what's for dessert, right? Mm -hmm. Like, he, he's just caused, like, a whole bunch of trouble. And then he turns to somebody and is like, okay, where were we, right? Oh, well, that's so, also different in the script. So he, oh. he starts with, um, in, in the script version that we have, he he bothers Carl and does all of that stuff. And then later on, he's just sitting with the senator like they've allowed him just to go back into the party and says that to the um, to the senator. Oh, OK. So the pubic hair thing happens after Carl. Yes. Interesting. OK. That's a whole well, other thing. <laughs> that's a whole other thing. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, like, I guess everybody is just familiar with like Carl's or not uh, Burke's. Um, persona right mm -hmm. like like he he is this brilliant director and he can be like a very kind like gentle person like like he did that whole thing for reagan mm -hmm. in the book right but like when he when he's drunk he just uh you know he's he's classic burke yeah um yeah so yeah so yeah. In, in the script he says the first part to, to carl about oh yeah i know who you are. and then and then he does this with the senator and then later on he goes and picks on him really worse so like they've had this opportunity to stop him it seems and they don't yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I, I want to talk uh, more about that in our next mm -hmm. uh, minute because um, if we get a little bit of Carl's character uh, too, and it's slightly different from uh, from the book. Um, their reactions to each other in the book are, are a little bit different. We'll definitely talk about that right. um, in the next minute. But it's interesting um, how much how much moving really tiny scenes around changes the, the tenor and the trajectory of these things. Yes, right? Like there's a there's a buildup or there's an escalation or there's a, a de-escalation um, that, that, yeah, it kind of like changes the whole tone right like we might think this is funny what what burke is saying about the pubic hair but it's harder to say that after he starts attacking poor carl and calling him a right. nazi yeah 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 oh poor carl <laughs> i just i just want all the best for carl carl is carl's a, like like leave him alone burke, <laughs> right as much as i like you mm -hmm. like you, you know you guys you guys gotta play nice come on um but yeah so um yeah, for whatever reason, right? They decided to, um, you know, change the whole pubic hair thing to like him messing around with the astronaut instead. And and it's an alien pubic hair still. An oh, right. Okay. So like that, I'm just saying, right? So maybe if you know the book, you're like, oh, that just that's just a synonym for space or for um, um like foreign, foreign, or, right, like, right, yeah, yeah. But here, I mean, yeah, it, it it feels more like it's. Have you seen an alien pubic hair before? Right, like a, like a, like a joke. Yeah. Right. Oh my god. god. 
Keenan, this astronaut is not having a good time at this party. <laughs> Everybody's picking on him. No wonder he wants to leave That's Earth. Right. Sheesh. Um, and Keenan, am I wrong? It's also a little weird that the next little uh, vignette features him as well. Like now we got Father Dyer talking to the astronaut and it just like struck me this time around like, wait, didn't we just have a moment with him? And I thought I thought what we were doing was like dipping into individual conversations like we were like we were, uh, you know, uh, like at the party and we were like looking at this in real time. Mm-hmm. Um, but clearly time has jumped because. The astronaut got up right. and moved away from Burke, and now he's talking with Father Dyer, and they've been talking. Like, this is like the middle of a new conversation. Right. And, and like, I'm not saying I don't like it, but it did make me think at first that those were two different people, as if the guy chatting with Burke, like, was the senator, um, mm-hmm. like, and talking with him. And, like, maybe he's, like, still talking to him whilst, like, this thing with the astronaut and the priest is going on. Like, what are your thoughts yeah, on that? Yeah, he's got a – when you look – I, I feel the same way. I was like, is this the same person? He's got a pretty distinctive costume. Right. So mm-hmm. it, it's not just black or navy suit like everybody else. His is right. sort of this weird, um, almost green purple. Like it's not as mm-hmm. um, it's not it's not like a joker or something like that. Right. right. But it's like it's like this plaid suit or, uh, you know, checkered yeah. suit. Um, so he does stand out. So we can definitely tell this is the same person. Um, but yeah, on a first blush, I, w- I would assume those are two different people. Yeah. We're spending a lot of time setting up this astronaut. Yeah, we are. Because he does get this. He does get the bigger moment in the big scene of the party um, later on with Reagan, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to the senator who isn't as, you know, what what he, what she does to him isn't as shocking as what she does to right. the astronaut. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so yeah, uh, guys, uh, this is our introduction to a couple new characters. We got our astronaut here, uh, played by Dick Callanan. Um, uh, and I think we're going to talk uh, a little bit more about him in our next minute because mm-hmm. uh, he does play like an important part in, um, I guess, like the larger. Uh, uh, Blatty right, universe, Blatty universe, the Blattyverse. <laughs> there we go. I'm, I'm coining that right now. Um, but yeah, uh, so so we'll talk to we'll talk about him uh, a little bit later. But also, folks, we got Father William J. O'Malley here playing Father Dyer. Um, we're going to learn more about Father Dyer also uh, uh, in a bit, right? More about the character. But this actor, once again, folks, this is a real Jesuit priest. So that's. How many so far in this film? We got uh, five priests. We got mm-hmm. Father Marin, Father Karras, Father Birmingham, Tom, um, Father Nicola, who witnesses the desecration, and now Father O'Malley. And of those five, three of them are actual priests, right? Mm-hmm. Who are not only like acting in uh, the movie, but also um, what what do we call them? Technical advisors, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, so so this is our third real life priest here, um, uh, Father Father. Uh, uh, William J. O'Malley. Now, Father O'Malley, he taught English and theology at McQuaid Jesuit High School. Um, he's written 37 books um, and also directed a number of musical and drama productions. I believe my research said that he directed a total of 99 plays, um, yeah. many of which were at his high school. Um, I think it was, I think it was like sort of a, a tradition during his time there as the teacher, like every year he would direct the big musical production um, and he was like known for that. That's the big time, um, the musical at the end of the year. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can sort of tell, right, compared to our other authentic priests, O'Malley has some 
some chops, right? Especially when he's at the piano mm-hmm. uh, in a later minute, right? He's got he's got an audience, and and you're like, ah, yeah, this guy performs in some capacity, right? Yeah, he he certainly has. I mean, he's the one of the three priests so far who are real who has the most of an actual like character, and he has an arc. I mean, like he doesn't have to sort yes. of be. I don't want to diminish what the other two are doing because I'm really a big fan of those, but like he has to really go places with his character. Yes. Yeah. Right. Um, and I believe after The Exorcist, he went back to teaching and he would refer to this film as that pornographic horror film I once did. <laughs> yeah. Um, which I like, are, are we talking about like, uh, did pornographic have a different, like in the same way that you, you like enlighten me on like, um, X rated w- meant something different <laughs> when it was first coined? Like, did, did pornographic just mean like obscene? No, I think he means so- it. Yeah, I think he means it as the joke, the full joke that this is a, okay, a dirty right. movie. Yeah. Yeah. So it is what it is. Yeah, okay. I believe so. <laughs> okay. Well, um, yeah. So um, it, it, like I said, it looks like he's also a writer. Um, he's written some books on faith. Uh, and then, yeah, he, he later on taught an elective called God, Morality, Marriage, Fatherhood, like all themes that show up in this movie. <laughs> that sounds like a great um, class. Yeah. Uh, now, I'm going to link in my show notes an article that he wrote um which he tells the story of how he and blatty actually met um it's from america colon the jesuit review and it's titled the lunch between a jesuit and william peter blatty that led to a role in the exorcist right um it was published january 2017 right after blatty had uh passed away and basically it follows how uh, O'Malley was asked by a local library to review this new book called the exorcist um so he reads it. Um, it deeply affects him. Um, and he writes his review and then he sends it to Blatty, um, whom he did not know yet. And Blatty immediately responds, uh, saying his book was basically like a thank you note to, uh, his Jesuit education. Uh, however, Blatty had just two, two little tiny things that he found faulty in O'Malley's review. Um, the first tiny, tiny little thing, uh, was that he missed the whole point of the book. Uh-huh. Um, the point, according to Blatty, is perfectly summed up in that added scene when the two priests are on the stairs. Uh, that scene, we will get to that scene, folks, and I can't wait. I have so many things to say about that scene. Um, just a bit, uh, just a bit of a spoiler. I am a hundred percent team Blatty on that scene. Um, he hates when people call this a horror story. Um, he even wrote an article, which we'll definitely read on this show, uh, down the road where he lays out his argument, uh, for the exorcist, um, at least his version in the book being a story of of hope, of redemption, of triumph, of good over evil. Um, for Blatty, there's there's like no ambiguity. The power of love and goodness wins out. Um, and we, we're, we're, we're jumping ahead, but I, like I can't not talk about it here. Um, that angle of the story is why I wanted to do this show, uh, because I feel like that's like not an angle that the casual viewer or maybe even the casual reader sees or remembers about this story um certainly o'malley didn't even uh get that feeling when he first read the book just so. like shock just like oh yeah. my god yeah right what have I and read? again what have i seen exactly and again like to to bring it back to the time right like we think of the pea soup we think of the head spinning we think of the you know the crucifix scene and all of that it's like that goes part and parcel with the exorcist oh yeah the exorcist the movie where like you know that, that pornographic horror movie mm-hmm. right uh but like like try to put yourself in like 1970s, like you're reading this for the first time or you're seeing this on the screen for the first time. Um, the other problem that Blatty had apparently in O'Malley's review, uh, he says that the priests, uh, the characters in the book were a little too wisecracky, a little too sarcastic. I believe he was referring specifically to the character of Father Dyer. Um, 
and his exact his exact words were cutesy flip. Mm-hmm. Um, so Blatty insisted that that's how all of his Jesuit teachers actually were. And then in this same letter, Blatty invites O'Malley uh, to have dinner with him. They meet and they sort of hit it off. And then two weeks later, O'Malley gets a call from Blatty and he's like, hey, how'd you like to play Father Cutesy Flip? <laughs> So like father, like, like O'Malley, how'd you like to play father Dyer? That, right. that character that you were, you know, criticizing. Um, and so here we go again, folks, like another miracle, another story about a seemingly random happenstance, a chance meeting resulting in this guy being in one of the most famous movies of all time. Um, Friedkin had a word, uh, like for these, I later found out, right. He refers to them as offerings. Oh yeah. That's a good like word. the universe, like offering right. up, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Father, father Dyer is, uh, rather funny i mean damien doesn't get to tell jokes so <laughs> someone nope. has to yeah so yeah yeah father dyer is his is his kind of like foil his comic relief right um and we're gonna see again like those themes of communion right like very very soon father Karras is gonna need a father dyer like to you know to crack jokes with him and to like you know just like sit with him and be with him um and yeah father dyer does a, a really good job of that it's interesting that we um we meet him the way that we do at this party, um, mm-hmm. separate from Father Karras, and then and then we're going to unite those two threads through him. Yeah. So two of our main characters are going to be introduced, uh, connected through Dyer. Through Dyer, right. yeah, right. That's his job. He's just making friends, matchmaking, and you know. Um, but yeah, um, he even features uh, in uh, Blatty's, like I guess sequel book to this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, in in Legion, which um, yeah, I guess you know eventually we're gonna we're gonna you know talk about. Um, that's him and Kinderman. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, we got Father Dyer and we're going to see more of him later. Um, but for now, in our minute, he's talking to this astronaut and they're talking about the Mercury and the Gemini programs. Mm-hmm. And I had to look this up. Right? Oh, mm-hmm. uh, this info is from uh, the Smithsonian National Air and Space Museum. So apparently these were part of a series of missions that like built and improved uh, on each other uh there was like this one man mercury mission mm-hmm. um or, or, or like a, a collection of them that developed hardware for like safe space flight and uh return to earth and and showed how human beings did in space um and that was like from uh 1961 through 1963 no, no, no. from from 61 to 63 uh the united states uh flew uh, a bunch of test flights and uh six uh six manned mercury missions mm-hmm. um and now i'm wondering like six manned mercury missions so that's like like six individual Mercury missions with one man in them, right? Okay, okay, that's a, you knew exactly yeah, what I was Mercury, confused about. Yeah, okay. Mercury had one person, and then when they doubled it, it's Gemini because the twins. Aha! Yes. There we go. Right? Yeah. So uh, after Mercury, NASA uh, introduced Gemini, um, which was like a larger. It was redesigned spacecraft for two astronauts. Aha! Now <laughs> I get it finally. Um, uh, and there were ten Gemini missions uh, flown from 1964 to 1966 to improve like techniques of spacecraft control rendezvous docking um extra vehicular activity like spacewalking mm-hmm. um and then one gemini mission uh spent like a record-breaking two weeks in space uh time enough for like a future crew to go up to the moon explore and return right so one thing to remember about all of this is that the the race was to get a man in space and the russians won so the Russians got Yuri Gagarin into space first, and they were so far ahead. So then by the time that they were doing the Mercury program, they were like, well, once we do get up there, it's not going to be as big of a deal. So then Kennedy and Johnson, because Johnson was the head of NASA as vice president, like they they decided, well, we are going to have to reconfigure this. So they started thinking about Gemini specifically as training for what would become Apollo. 
So like oh. they were already behind the the um the Soviets, and so they had to like like if they were going to be doing this stuff and feel like they were already doing things that the Russians were doing, no, we're going mm-hmm. to be practicing to get to the moon. Right. And which 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 paid off because they got to the moon first. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so it sounds like that's what they're talking about here. And <laughs> Dyer's response, right? First mis- missionary on Mars, mm-hmm. right? That's straight from the book again. Um, Dyer, like, he he cracks these jokes. Um, and it, it sometimes, like, seems in the book that he has this, like, really deadpan delivery where people can't tell if he's joking or right. not. And this is one of those, right? Like, like when he first shows up at this party, um, like, he apologizes for being late. And he's like, I couldn't find the right necktie. <laughs> That's the thing about about priests. Yeah, you, you have trouble telling, uh, you know, you have trouble catching sarcasm from priests at all because you're not sure yeah. if, they're, if they're allowed. Are you allowed to be sarcastic? Right. Like, Are you allowed to say um, one thing but mean another thing? <laughs> Where is that in the Bible? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, I think I think we figured out in our last minute, Keenan. It's everywhere <laughs> in the Bible. So it sounds like this guy is talking about how luxurious uh, his new missions are compared to those two. Right. So it sounds like he's an Apollo astronaut, which would have still been going at the time when this movie is taking place. Um, they mm-hmm. would have already gotten to the moon, but continue on. And um, I think that that is borne out by the extended body verse, which we'll talk about. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And in, in the next minute, right, we're going to have a Reagan come down. And she's going to like, you're going to have a really good time up there. <laughs> right. We're all counting on you. Good luck. Yes. <laughs> God bless no. um, And also, I believe we have a tie in mm-hmm. to another book, which Blatty wrote, The Ninth Configuration. Right. Keenan, you said like after our Xmas episode, like you did a little homework for that and you got some stuff on that, right? Isn't is that supposed to be this character, this astronaut? Yes, we'll talk about We'll tease it for the next episode when we have a little bit okay. more of this astronaut. But yes, yeah, so, so Blatty wrote a book before this um, and then he turned it into a movie after this called The Ninth mm. Configuration. And in his mind, this astronaut is the same astronaut in The Ninth Configuration. We don't have a name oh, okay. for him here and he's played by different actors. But um, right. Blatty had designed it that way and I believe he would still consider them the same. So The Ninth Configuration, mm. in some ways you could consider it a sequel to The Exorcist or part of this extended universe right even though they're very very different it's so weird to think about that like like you think about this movie being like so Mm self-contained so like even more self-contained than like episode four right right like which you know by all accounts is is like a movie in and of itself it's like you don't need anything else Mm -hmm. like we're talking about star wars folks right like like you can just watch that movie and and it's like you have like a full-on complete star wars experience like and it's great right and i I also felt like this about The Exorcist, like just this movie. And then, you know, come to find in the research and everything like that. I mean, I knew before, but like there's so many like other movies associated mm-hmm. with this movie. Um, I mean, this like this movie itself has two versions, right? right. This, is the, this is the version you've never seen, right? <laughs> Yeah, and so he had written this astronaut character before in the late 1960s, and he had tried to make that into a movie and give the script to Friedkin, um, and that didn't happen. Um, and so, but he, as far as he was concerned, this was the same guy he had already written a, a movie about. So he'd already written what happens to this astronaut character after The Exorcist. Interesting. Oh, and actually, Keenan, uh, like I, I, I forgot about this. I, I wanted to talk about this. So we keep on uh, comparing. Uh, Blatty's book to his screenplay, right? And and I think we've we've made a couple comments about how like it almost seems like he's copy pasted a couple of a things. A lot of like, it. The dialogue certainly, and some of these um, some of these scene description. Yeah, mm-hmm. 
yeah, so the scene description, which you wouldn't even like um, kind of get a sense of, except like maybe visually mm-hmm. in the movie, right? Like you're not going to, you're not going to like, like, ooh, yeah, alien code tapped out by a dead right. man. Um, you know, like I appreciate that little clap in the theater, right? Like mm-hmm. when you're watching the movie. Mm-hmm. But so apparently um, Blatty came to Friedkin first with an adapted screenplay and Friedkin didn't like it. Of The Exorcist? And, yeah. Oh, wow. And yeah, so, so Blatty was like, hey, I got a surprise for you. I, I already wrote the screenplay. And so according to Friedkin in this um, this uh, this new Amazon um, documentary that I was watching, um, A Leap of Faith, mm-hmm. uh, check that out, folks. Um, according to Friedkin, the, the screenplay, you know, it had like um, flashbacks and it had like all this stuff that, that uh, Friedkin didn't like. And so like he goes back to Blatty and he's like, hey, I like, like, I want to shoot your book. Mm-hmm. Like, like, give me your book. And so apparently Friedkin takes the book and he just like highlights and circles a whole bunch of stuff. He's like, I want this in the movie. I want this in the movie. I want this in, in the movie. So maybe we also have kind of Friedkin to thank for like some of these things almost seeming like they're copy pasted. Oh, that's very into interesting. Yeah. Uh-huh. He's like, I like this. Don't change that. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so, yeah, folks, so our minute ends with just the very beginning of an interaction between Burke and his best buddy, Carl. Uh, Burke says, tell me. And that's where we got to break off for this minute. Before we go, Keenan, is there anything else we missed? No, I'm excited to give you a teaser for next episode about all my homework that I give. It's a good week for oh, homework. Oh, my goodness. I'm excited for that. And I'm also excited for like, like, what is what is Burke want? Carl to tell him like <laughs> and, and what happened to that grandfather <laughs> what did the grandfather and say what happened to that grandfather <laughs> ah, so many questions we like to say that we we answer these questions here at the exorcist minute but uh really we're just giving them more questions <laughs> Um, oh, and yes, folks, uh, we now have a listener group to our show. Uh, it's on Facebook. Um, it's uh, called Compelling Conversations, an Exorcist Minute listener group. It's a private group, but just you know, request to join, and we'll let you in, and then you can be in here with us. And also, if you would like to leave us a message, our email is theexorcistminute at gmail.com, all one word, um, and we'll read it on the show. Um, if you like the show and you want to help us out, the best thing you can do for a podcast that's just starting out is to leave a little five-star review. And that'll help the algorithm. That'll help us. Um, that'll help other people find us. And we can keep growing this this awesome, this excellent community. All hail the algorithm. All hail the All algorithm. All hail the algorithm. Yeah, yeah. That's going to that's gonna hit very, very differently in uh, 3023. <laughs> when the algorithm has erased our facial features and we're just plastic people. Much more efficient this way. Can't get COVID. Right. <laughs> we're going to need a new Shakespeare. He's going to need to invent... The personality for for these new humans. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So, Keenan, are you thinking what I'm thinking? I think I am, Lester. Folks, until next time, the The power power of the the Wilhelm Wilhelm scream compels you. you.